Alright guys, welcome to another episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards. Jared Atkins coming to you live, solo shot edition. We have no Kirk Kelly today. Uh, Kirk's at work. It's 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm going to put out a little content. Listen, I want to jump right into this thing that I was bitching about a couple weeks ago about this new stadium being built with the Titans. Because now word's coming out about Buffalo is looking at a new stadium as well. Now, it does look like it's going to be a great-looking stadium. It's going to be another billion-dollar stadium. You can't. I don't think you can do a stadium under a billion dollars anymore today, can you? Uh, it's going to be another open-air stadium, which is good, because everybody's making a switch to more and more domes lately. We don't need that. I know it's Buffalo. It's western New York. It's fucking cold. It's wintertime. Uh, but it's going to be more like stack seating, and uh, there's going to have the overhanging canopy, which you're starting to see in a lot more of these newer open-air stadiums. Now, Canopy's going to cover probably 60 to 70% of the field, which is, you know, it helps keep against some of the wind and some of the rain and obviously the snow that you're going to get in western uh, New York there. Now, this, um, this I'm not opposed to. I'm not shitting all over this like I was the Titan Stadium in Nashville. Uh, Buffalo does need a new stadium. Uh, is it even called Ralph Orchard Park anymore, or Ralph Wilson, or whatever the fuck it is? It's not even called that anymore. Um, now, I took a look at the renderings today. I got on and looked at it. The renderings, it looks great. Like, it's it's going to be a beautiful stadium. There's no doubt. Um, it's scheduled to open in 2026, so you're looking at four years. And uh, Okay, it's called Highmark right now. It'll be across the road from Highmark in Orchard Park. Uh, groundbreaking is expected to start sometime next year. Uh, it's, it's going to be roughly 1.4 billion. So, a huge chunk of change. What else can I find out about it here? Uh, the funding for the stadium includes a record $850 million of public funding, funding, with $600 million of that coming from not only the state of New York, but another 250 coming from Erie County. Uh, it's the fourth oldest stadium in the NFL. Uh, Highmark Stadium opened in 1973. Now, here's the thing. They needed this new stadium, and, I mean, it's going to happen. This doesn't happen without the resurgence of the Bills in the last two or three seasons. Uh, you know what this team went through? After four straight... Super Bowl appearances because of Jim Kelly and the K-Gun offense in the early 90s and late 80s whatnot. There's only a handful of playoff appearances since. And they suffer through all this shit going back in the, the good old days of the J.P. Lost minute quarterback and anybody else you want to put in a quarterback. Uh, and then the, um, the Rex Miller, or Rex Ryan, excuse me. Why did I say Rex Miller? What the fuck? The Rex... The Rex Ryan days as, as coach, and uh, this stadium rebuild, this this doesn't happen without what they've got in place now with Josh Allen and, and Diggs and that defense and just the way that whole cance, uh, culture has changed in that city. Uh, I'm on the mic, hot take it. This doesn't happen without this happening. So, congrats uh, to them. It's going to be a beautiful stadium. It's the renderings make it look awesome. 
Um, and at least thank God it's not a dome. And thank God we've got a team here getting a stadium that needs one. Nashville's just too cheap to fix LP Field or fucking Nissan Stadium, whatever it's called now. They're just too cheap to fix it. So, that's my shout for the day. So, we're going to talk a little bit about live golf and, uh, in particular, Bryson DeChambeau, because I've always been a huge Bryson guy the last few years. And some people hate Bryson's guts. I like Bryson. Uh, he spoke to ESPN today about the live golf um, lawsuit. Uh, basically, he said that he's going to remain a plaintiff in the lawsuit against the PGA Tour. And specifically, it's just Bryson pissing in the PGA's mouth, which I find hilarious. Uh, because it's all it's it's basically Bryson said he's going to remain a plaintiff till he's paid a one point seven five million dollar bonus that's owed to him as part of its player impact program. So they're playing uh, the Live Golf Championship Pro Am is played at uh, is playing at Trump National Doral Golf Club down in Florida, uh, and Bryson told ESPN on today that. The PGA Tour has only paid him half of the $3.5 million bonus he earned by finishing fifth in the inaugural Player Impact Program standings last year. Bryson said, quote, it's not about the money, it's about the principle. It's the way you deal with situations. Now, DeChambeau's went on record in saying he received his first payment of $1.75 million on February 15th. He said there were two requirements for receiving the second payment. Play in a regular PGA Tour event he hadn't completed during the previous four seasons. And make a charity event. Now he said he fulfilled his first requirement by playing at Valero in Texas back in April. By the way, fun fact, Valero is a, you know, love it. Anyways, uh, DeStrambo said that he tried to fulfill the second one by appearing at a charity event for First Tee in Dallas the very following month. But he was told by the PGA Tour that the appearance would fulfill the requ- would wouldn't fill the requirement because he is a no longer a PGA Tour member in good standing. He's not a PGA Tour member in good standing because he's part of Live Golf now. DeShambo would say, "Quote: They said you're not in good standing. We're not allowing you to do something to help junior golf and junior golfers." To Bryson said, "Quote: To me, that's childish." It shows where they stand emotionally. I respect and understand it, but when you've completed something and provided entertainment for them last year, that's the reason I'm in a lawsuit. Of course, now the PGA Tour hasn't immediately responded to a comment as of, uh, I don't know what I would call this, press time, audio time today, whatever. Uh, DeShambles one of eight, had uh, eight tour victories, uh, PGA, including the 2020 U.S. Open, when he joined Live Golf back in June. Now, he received a reported guaranteed contract worth more than $125 million. And, of course, I've said it to a blue in the safe. Uh, I love saying this phrase, that Saudi Arabia blood money. Live Golf is backed by the Saudi Arabia Public Trust Investment Fund thing. That's just, it's how they're throwing away, it's how Saudi Arabia is throwing away money at all sorts of shit right now. That's how they continually get Vince McMahon, or well, it's no longer Vince McMahon now. It's how they continue to get the WWE to come back and hold big, big shows over there, including pay-per-views. My God, they got one of their biggest annual pay-per-views of the year back in February. They got Elimination Chamber to emanate live from the kingdom over there. So, 
and this this live golf thing, like Saudi's got that blood money, baby. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. I just love saying that. I shouldn't. It's probably it might probably even be disrespectful. Who knows? But uh, they've got the money for it. And Bryson signed a $125 million contract. Now, he's among the 11 live golf players who sued the PGA Tour in federal court back on August, alleging that the PGA Tour was using its monopoly power to quash competition and that it had discouraged TV networks, vendors, and other companies from working with live golf. So the PGA Tour will then file a countersuit, which we've talked about this at length in many of our other weeknight episodes, specifically the one just an episode or two ago, about this, if you want to hear more about this lawsuit, but uh, basically, the PGA Tour would file a countersuit and accusing Live Golf of interfering with his contracts and players. Now, Live Golf would join the players as part of a plaintiff in as as a plaintiff in the lawsuit on August twenty eighth. Since then, eight players have removed themselves from the case, including uh, one of the greatest of all time, a six time major winner, uh, lefty Phil Mickelson. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau remains part of the suit, though, as I said. Uh, now, I want to mention something else. One of my all-time favorite players uh, in recent years is Bubba Watson. He's a two-time Masters champion. Uh, he joined Live Golf, but isn't playing this season because of a knee injury. He told ESPN on Thursday that he didn't receive the second half of his bonus either. Uh, he's due to receive like $3 million. He said, I haven't received all my money for something I won two years ago. Watson said, they canceled on me a few times. I was supposed to do some things. They canceled the event. was supposed to do another thing. They canceled the event. I guess if you look at it on paper, yes, I didn't feel my duty, but I tried to. Uh, Watson would say that, uh, you know, I'm good. I've been very blessed in my life. I'll be able to eat if he would miss the $3 million bonus. So, um, just keep your eye on this. I'll do my best to keep you informed. I love talking about this pissing contest between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. Um, it had, to me, it has been one of the store, one of the biggest sports stories of 2022. Uh, I like the PGA Tour. I, I like what Live Golf's doing, though, too. Like, they're... It's literally them raising up, saying you're not the only game in town anymore. It ain't no different than AEW. Shout out me to get my pro wrestling reference in. It ain't no different than AEW coming on the scene now. And uh, NWA really starting to have a revival. New Japan Pro Wrestling starting to really get a good following. Impact Wrestling starting to rise up. The boom and rise of Game Changer Wrestling uh, GCW, they're all telling the WWE, you're not the only game in town anymore. Yeah, you're the only game in town for like, you know, 18, 20 years, pretty much, whatever, but you're not the only game in town anymore. And this is just, I love it. Live Golf's pissing in the mouth of the PGA Tour, and the PGA Tour's coming right back pissing in their mouth. And I got a feeling this is going to go on. I think it's clear to me that neither of these two organizations can work together. Um, so, who knows what's going to happen. It's definitely been entertaining to report about. It's definitely been entertaining to watch. Um, excuse me. So, uh, I don't know why they're not paying the guy. I think you could find a, some sort of mediation here if you wanted to. 
I think like I like I've used this reference a million times, and it's it's a good reference to use in sports when things go on behind the scene. It's a contest of whose dick is theoretically the biggest. Bryson DeChambeau's or the PGA. So, um, anyways, guys, keep your eye on that. I'll keep you. I'll do my best to uh, keep you up formed. Up formed. This is that like that's like a married of updated and informed. Up formed. Up formed. New word, upformed. You know, March was a long time ago. March was seven, eight months ago. One of the things I do when I format these uh, weeknight chronicles together, how I used to do it in the beginning of the, the the first two months we did them before I took this job where I'm from home a lot more, is uh, I would rush home after I got off work with Kurt, and uh, I would pull up ESPN and Bleacher Report. That was it. And I would just look at the headlines and I would go back anything within like a week or two's time and put notes in. And I still do that now. Now that I don't work, I have more time during the day. When I know we're doing a weeknight Chronicles episode, I can usually prep. One of the things I'll do is I'll open both tabs on both, and, I'll, and I'll look at certain things. And I've always clicked on the X Games just to see if there's anything. There was never nothing really of note to report. Well... As of yesterday, for the first time ever in Steel Toes and Scoreboards history, we're going to talk a little X Games. Because uh, I just found out something last night, thanks to Bleach Report and ESPN, I had no fucking idea about. So the X Games apparently had was majority owned by ESPN. Okay, and I'm not just talking about them airing the competitions on their networks. The entire functioning body of the X Games was controlled by ESPN. Uh, you know, ESPN founded this in 1995. Uh, and of course, you know, you've got skateboarders, snowboarders, BMX riders, like uh, freestyle motocross athletes, uh, rollerbladers, uh, the works. Well, they sold a, a part of a multi uh, year agreement, by the way. They sold the majority interest. They're still going to keep a portion for themselves because they founded it. They're still going to carry coverage of the sport on their networks as part of the deal. But they sold the majority controlling interest in the X Games to a company called MSP Sports Capital based in New York. It's a private equity firm who has investments in McLaren Racing, uh, in four European soccer teams, and other odds and ends. They're going to go ahead and assume the day-to-day business operations and produce the um what sort of money for they're going to produce the the majority of the uh games and event shows that espn will air uh espn chairman chairman jeremy pitarero said in a statement the other day that we're proud of what we created with our athletes and our employees over nearly 30 years of world-class x games events and contacts we look forward to an exciting next chapter with MSP Sports Capital, which has a proven track record of excellence in sports and a dynamic vision for the continued growth and progression of the industry-leading sports brand. Well, what's cool about that is Tony Hawk is going to be involved with this. He is going to be involved with this. He has joined the investment group as a brand steward. Um... Tony said, skateboarding is part of my DNA, 
and I support a community where change and advances in action sports is happening on a daily basis. Being part of the advisory board for the X Games is an extension of my decades competing in much more forgiving body. Uh, Tony Hawk, you guys might remember, the most famous skateboarder in the world, but when I was 12 years old in 1990, he hit the first ever 900 at the 1999 X Games. I remember that shit. I watched it happen. First ever 900. Crazy shit. That's all we were talking about. Uh, so anyways, I just think that's cool. I wanted to, I wanted to throw that in. Uh, MS Sports Capital will produce the first X Games in Aspen uh, from January, in late January of this coming year, 2023, which will air on ESPN. Um, so yeah. I mean, the X Games have been pivotal to, to ESPN sports. Uh, you know, guys like Sean White, uh, Chloe Kim, Travis Pastrana, Matt Hoffman. Uh, you know, Matt Hoffman appeared on ESPN Magazine, if I remember correctly. I'm 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 looking at the uh, notes right here, but I I vague I think I do remember that happening. Uh, I want to say I was still in high school when that happened, like 2005 ish. Uh, he might have done it twice. Anyways, this is just something cool. I just it's because it brought back memories of of uh, the younger days for me, so I want to put that in there. Plus, you know, that's the first time ever with X Games, and I I just feel like you guys are X Games pulling a Jim Mora from Indy X Games X playoffs playoffs. Talk about playoffs. I just hope we win a game playoffs. For you guys like X Games, X Games. Let's talk about X Games. Show of hands out there. Uh, how many people uh, watched the Lakers game last night? As uh, we've mentioned in this show, uh, I've came out of the closet as a Lakers fan. Uh, and I w- and I want to reiterate this before I jump into this about LeBron going 0-4 here. Um, I love to watch the Pacers play. I mean, they're my home market team. You know, Indianapolis is two and a half, three hours and north of here. Um, I am a Pacers fan. I do enjoy watching the Pacers play. Uh, I'll always consider myself a Pacers fan, but I'm also, I came out, I mean, I've loved the Lakers ever since I was, uh, God, man, Shaq and Kobe, three in a row back in my young, my teens and, and right before my team, Shaq and Kobe. So, yes, I am a Lakers fan. I admit it. I am a fucking Lakers fan, proudly. Uh, they're 0-4. First time since LeBron was a rookie, he starts the season 0-4. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. Now, I've been waiting for the right time to kind of talk about LeBron James. Um, because, you know, his, I, his retirement, and I'm, you know, this is going to be the, the farewell tour for LeBron. Potentially. I still don't see it happening. Uh, although you know it's come out that he said it, I don't. I don't know. LeBron's still the best player in the world. I'll fucking fight you on anybody with that. This is LeBron is like the Tom Brady of the NBA, which is funny because I hate Tom Brady's fucking guts. But yet, you know, and I used to hate LeBron. 
For those of you that don't remember, hey, I've had two Facebooks in my life. I'm not one of these shitty people that, you know, forget their Facebook login and they have to make another one or they've been caught cheating. I'm not one of these people out there, you pull up my name and there's seven different profiles of me on Facebook that I keep getting locked out of and forgetting my password. I got locked out and fucked out of my original Facebook that I had since 2006, 2007, whatever it was. I got locked out of my original Facebook three years ago in October of 2019. Uh... They thought I got hacked. They reset my password and you and sent it to an email that I didn't even exist. It was a hotmail email address that I made in the year 2000 as a sixth grader. They reset it to that. That email is long since gone and defunct, so I can never get my account back. Anyways, uh, you go check my old Facebook. I used to shit on LeBron James all the time. And it wasn't only until after uh, my youngest was born in 20, 2018, I came around LeBron. I gave LeBron second chances, and he's never let me down. So, LeBron starting 0-4, I mean, are they the worst team in the league right now? With a lineup like, you know, Westbrook, P-Bev, LeBron, Davis... Schroeder, all these bench options. Like, this can't be the worst team in the league. But they're sure looking like one. You know, they're shooting like 23% from three-point range this year. That's the worst by any team, I think, in history over the course of a four-game start. So I don't, I have no idea what's going on there. We're going to do a big LeBron James episode I'm, or I'm going to do it by myself eventually sometime this year because if it really is if it really is time for the Cowboy to ride off into the sunset, I wanted to give an episode befitting him. And, you know, you people can say what you want about LeBron, and I know a lot of people are going to say absolutely god-awful things. Fuck, I used to be one that did it. But he's been a class act his entire career. Uh, he's never had any off-the-court drama. He's been married to the same woman. He married his high school sweetheart. He had three, four, five, six kids with her, whatever. He's always done the right thing by his kids. He came home. You people burned his fucking jerseys when he went to Miami. He came home like he promised, brought you a championship, the first professional championship of the Big Four for the city of Cleveland in 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it was. Like, he did what he said he was going to do. Now, I tell you this, if he does retire, not only do I see him doing Hollywood thing, but I'm seeing him coaching. He's coaching somewhere or general managing a team something. He's the best player in the fucking league. He's the most recognizable face in the league for a reason. So, uh, and like I said, we'll, we'll cover more into LeBron as the, as the year goes on. Cause I really want to do justice on this. Uh, but yeah, they're just, the uh, Lakers are not doing Laker things. The Lakers are doing like, uh, I don't know, they're doing like Cleveland Brown things. Anyways. Jake Paul. Jake Paul. I don't think I have, um, I don't think I have to explain to anybody that's listened to our show in the past what I feel about Jake and Logan Paul. If somebody asks me, somebody, a friend of mine that listens to the show on occasion, he doesn't catch every episode, 
but he seems to manage to pick up on the one episodes that he needs to listen to. Talk to me, he goes, he goes, are you jealous of the Paul boys? I'm like, you know what? Maybe a little bit. I, I'm just jealous how you guys can go from being nobody to something because of social media. And now you guys are worth a million dollars. You're coming around, you know, you're, you're Logan Paul. You sign a contract to compete exclusively for the, for the WWE. So you're a professional wrestler now. And you're thrust into, it's storyline-wise, they're not going to put the title on you. Uh, oh, God, could the world ever flip if, J- if uh, Logan Paul becomes WWE champion at uh, Elimination, or at uh, Crown Jewel, whatever. The fuck the Saudi show coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, but Jake Paul, let's talk about Jake Paul. So, Jake Paul's a douchebag. I've said that. You also know what I feel about Eddie Hearn. Eddie Herm is the top promoter in all of boxing. I'll fight anybody on that. Uh, matchroom boxing. Uh, Eddie's a douchebag, but Eddie gets stuff done. So we got some douchebag on douchebag crime. Uh, and this goes back to, uh, a lot of this goes back to April. Uh, April 30th. And you can hear that episode way back when you go back to our Laundry Mat Listenings Episode 3 Recorded on Sunday, May 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Katie Taylor and Amanda Soriano. The biggest damn fight in the year in boxing, or the second. It was probably the second biggest fight of the year boxing-wise, because nothing was going to be bigger than Canelo versus Triple G. So, uh, attention-wise, Katie Taylor and Amanda Soriano, Soriano was the second biggest fight of the year. But to me, it's going to go down as the best fight there. Two ladies sold out Madison Square Garden. Headline Madison Square Garden. Sold out Madison Square Garden. And to think that in the initial months leading up to this fight, they thought they was going to put them in a little theater besides Madison Square Garden, which only holds like 3,000, 5,000 people. Instead of putting this these little women in a place that's going to sell out 20,000, 30,000 people. Uh, anyways, going back to that. Uh... Eddie Hearn had filed a lawsuit last month against Jake Paul for defamation uh, of, an, of an interview that happened after this Taylor fight and the Serrano fight and everything where uh, Jake Paul basically accused matchroom boxing of paying off a judge. Well, the judge that was accused is now suing Jake Paul and MVP Promotions as well for defamation, and this was filed in uh, District Court U.S. District Court. Uh, so Hearn and Matchroom are seeking more than one hundred million dollars, one hundred million dollars in damages, and um, the judge is seeking uh, more than seventy-five thousand dollars. I don't know how much. Uh, but basically, um, Frank Selzano of ESPN reported that Paul's statements have harmed Judge Feldman's reputation in the public, uh, the commission of a crime, or to call into question Feldman's fitness to perform his work in his trade and profession. Just, about, just a bunch of legal spout. Uh, Jake Paul had said in an interview last month that he believed that Feldman was getting paid by Matchroom to judge bouts in favor of the promotion's fighters. This included... Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor, and also included Alexander Yusuk versus Anthony Joshua, which went down Saudi Arabia. My God, we're talking about that Saudi blood money a lot tonight, aren't we? Uh, 
back in August 20th because uh, Joshua was a Eddie Hearn guy. Now, something I want to point out here. Uh, I love Amanda Serrano. Uh, absolutely, she's fucking amazing. Um, I hate Jake Paul. He's a douchebag. I wanted to see Amanda Serrano win that fight against Katie Taylor. I really did. There's no favoritism going on with this official clearing and ruling fights and judging fights in favor of Eddie Hearn and matchroom boxing. Eddie Hearn, to me, and you guys know we talk a lot of boxing on this show. We have been since we started these weeknight chronicles. Eddie Hearn is the biggest douchebag in boxing, but he's a good-at-his-job douchebag. He runs a tight-ship douchebag, and no matter how much you investigate this guy, he's always going to be a clean douchebag. So, Jake, Jake's just running his mouth to be running his mouth, and now he's embroiled in a $100 million-plus lawsuit in court, and God only knows what's going to happen, and who knows what's going to happen then, because he's going to get his ass knocked out this weekend by Anderson Silva, because there's a, uh, there's a high pay-per-view boxing match coming up this weekend, which we've talked about in the past, uh, where, uh, UFC legend Anderson the Spider Silva is going to agree to box, uh, Jake Paul, so... I'll be sure to try to recap that next week when Jake Paul gets knocked the fuck out. Shout out to my homie Tyson Kravner. Uh, By the way, Tyson and I did a full NHL puck preview episode uh, about two weeks ago, breaking down the NHL season. Tyson, we need to get on the mic and do another State of the Puck episode. But uh, Tyson, this is just for you. Uh, Tuesday night, Phil Kessel... Um, set a record. He became the NHL's new Iron Man, uh, scoring his 400th career goal uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights in a 4-2 win over San Jose. Uh, Kessel's 35 years old. He has now appeared in 990 consecutive games, a streak that started back on November 3, 2009. Uh, absolutely amazing. Kessel has been... Um, the Iron Man. There's just no other way to say it. Uh, if you like hockey, you gotta like Phil Kessel. Um, now Kessel broke the record that was previously set uh, last year by the Flyers defenseman uh, Keith Yandel. I think that's who it was, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, Monday night he tied the record. So, there was no doubt that Tuesday night when he hit the ice, he was going to break it. Uh, Yandel became the record holder in January of this year after he appeared in 965 straight games, a streak that had started for him back in March of 2009. Uh, Yandel retired before the start of this season. Um, Prior to Yandel, the record was held by uh, Doug Jarvis, who was a great forward for the Canadians. There you go, Tyson. I know you love Canadians talk. <laughs> uh, Kessel was only eight years, eight days old when Jarvis's streak had ended. 
uh, his streak ended on October 10th, 1987. I was born August 5th, 87. Uh, Jarvis had held the title as the NHL's Ironman for 35 years before Yandel had claimed the record. Uh, so, Phil Kessel, um, I'm not going to do much hockey in this episode, but just, just a shout out to him. Uh, I don't know how long Kessel's got left, but uh, consecutive games... Um, that's, that's pretty impressive. They just don't make guys old school tough like that anymore. Uh, here's a guy that's just a couple months younger than me. And, uh, congratulations to, to him. Absolutely. Uh, Tyson, hit me up, homie. I'm ready to do a state. We're going to call it the state of the puck. The state of the puck. I wanted to bring this, I wanted to bring this point up, uh, to, um, the Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll uh, came out yesterday during one of his weekly meetings with the media that the coach is required to have, and said that he would like the M- the NFL to do a closer reexamination of whether stadiums should use artificial turf or grass. Uh, this comes after Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf, who is one of my fantasy standout so far this season. I mean, he was great in some games and solid in the others, and a couple games he just shit the bed, but uh, he banged up his knee pretty good um, at SoFi Stadium, the new stadium that's the home of the Chargers and the Rams, which, by the way, is an artificial turf service. Uh, Carroll said, I think we definitely need to really look at this in the offseason again, seriously. It's been a discussion before. We've got to do what's right. We've got to do what's safest for the players, and we've got to make those choices. I would pound the drum for that. Now, right now, fourteen of the NFL's thirty team, uh, fourteen of the NFL's thirty stadiums use an artificial service surface, uh, including the Seahawks at Lumen Field. Now, uh, two years ago in twenty twenty, the NFL Players Association called for all teams to use grass fields to reduce the risk of injury to players. Uh, Players Association President J.C. Treder cited NFL injury data from 2012 to 2018 that showed 28% higher rate of non-contact lower extremities injuries on artificial turf as compared to natural grass. Pete Carroll said, I know that there's been numbers and studies. You have to figure out who the study comes from and who's paying for it. There's a lot of stuff here that we've got to figure out. We've got to do the right thing, but we definitely need to keep looking at it because every now and then, it just feels like something is up. Too many guys are going down when they're not even touching anybody. So we'll see the turfs are way better than they used to be and all that kind of stuff, but we have to see. Now, Metcalf's injury was, uh, he had an injury to his left patellar tendon that won't require surgery. But he's definitely going to miss some time. So, um, you know what? I got to thinking about that. You know, how many stadiums still use grass and how many use an artificial turf? And uh, I don't know how Kirk Kelly feels about this. I have a feeling I know what he's going to say. But uh, since he's not here and I'm just doing this solo shot without him today, he's at work right now. Um, I think, honestly... I'm uh, I'm more of a grass guy. I love to see football played on real grass. That's just me. You can't beat it. 
That's what we all did as kids. My fat ass even played football with all the kids in town as a kid. And we played on grass. That's the way the game's meant to be played, is on grass. So, I don't know what's going on here. Um, I think it's a very interesting thing. I should, I actually might go to look up uh, some of this studies and data. I mean, in the Google machine, everything that you don't want out there in the web is out there. So, uh, I'll do my best to keep you updated on that story. And let's move on. Did you guys hear about this? So we're going to talk a little college basketball here. Uh, one of my favorite college basketball coaches in the last, I don't know, 10, 15, no, not even 15, probably about 5 to 10 years, has been Jay Wright, uh, the former Villanova coach. He's now going to be in the middle of the NCAA basketball tourney. Okay? Uh, CBS Sports and uh, Warner Brothers Discovery Sports. Warner Brothers has their hands in a lot of shit right now. Uh, They announced on Thursday that Wright will now be a studio analyst during March Madness on CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV. So, for those of you that don't remember, back in April, after 21 seasons at Villanova, where he took the Wildcats to two national championships in 2016-2018, as well as four appearances in the Final Four, uh, Jay Wright retired from coaching. Uh, he said, when I was at Hofstra, if we lost in the first round, I was upset, but you know, we usually lost to a two seed. But when I was at Villanova and you lost in those early rounds, it was torture. I remember going in on the second weekend and being on the desk for some of those shows. And I'm thinking to myself, people are probably really upset with me that I'm doing this. We should be playing for my assistant and the Hofstra days. I remember enjoying it so much as a fan that I look forward to it. Uh, he would say that he loved being a part of the tournament as a coach, but he's really getting and going to enjoy being a part of the tournament as an analyst and watching it as a fan. Uh, now, he will also be an in-game studio analyst uh, for CBS and CBS Sports during the regular season. Uh, his, so, um, he had an overall record between Hofstra and Villanova of 642 and 282. So, his announcement, the announcement about this is coming just a couple days after the Jim Nance uh, thing came out about uh, Nance is going to step away from calling the NCAA tournament after next year. Nance has been doing this tournament 30, 35 years. Uh, Go back to the, uh, you know, the 83 Villanova and Jimmy V, or Villanova, Excuse me, North Carolina State Wolfpack in Houston, uh, Jimmy V. Uh, so Nance is going to step away. Nance is still going to focus on football and on calling the Masters and stuff. But Nance is stepping away from the tournament entirely after next season. He's going to be replaced by one of my favorite analysts. Uh, he's got he's got one of the most famous sports voices in the world. I think that's Ian Eagle. Uh, I don't. I absolutely love Ian Eagle. So here you got two guys. You got a guy stepping away from the tournament. You got a guy coming in to call tournament games. You've got Ian Eagle coming in to secede Nance. Uh, it's it's an incredible time. Uh, we don't talk enough college basketball on this show. And I told Kurt 
not that long ago, we need to start including some some of that in the show. So we're going to do our best to try to do that going forward. Uh, real quick, I want to touch on TJ Dillshaw, uh, the 135-pound Bantamweight champion. Uh, everybody likes TJ Dillashaw. I do. I guess I shouldn't say everybody. Uh, he lost his title last weekend in that big fight against Sterling. Uh, in the second round, he lost the TKO. Uh, his shoulder, he dislocated it uh, in the first round. He managed to work the shoulder back into the socket in between the first and second rounds, and then it popped back out again in the second round, and the referee decided to call it off. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so Dillashaw ended up losing uh, the bantamweight championship. Now, to me, the bantamweight division has always been more of the more competitive division. You're 135 pounds when you're in the bantamweight division, and I look back to those, you know, Uriah Faber and Dominic Cruz, all that shit from a decade ago. Um, but Dillashaw's going to have to have surgery. This is going to be his third shoulder surgery since 2019. And the second surgery on his left shoulder. Uh, Dillashaw said it's going to be about another year I'm going to be out. He's looking at probably nine months until he can start training rough and tough and making sure everything's healed up. Now, Dillashaw is 17-5, and and he's only fought three times since 2019 due to a two-year suspension for failing a drug test and injury. Uh, He's drawn a lot of heat on himself over the recent days after his shoulder dislocated. Uh, on Wednesday, he told ESPN he should have clarified that his shoulder did dislocate in camp, but never to a point he wasn't able to work it back into place. Uh, immediately after his loss, Dana White said that uh, the UFC was unaware of his injury and added that that's something he should have told us. Dana White was pissed. So, there's not been a date set for his surgery yet, but it's it's obviously it's going to have to be sometime in the next month or so, and then you're looking at a year before you see T.J. Dillashaw. So, hey, hopes to him on a on a speedy and well recovery. He's, um, you know, he's one of the UFC's top guys or a fan favorites. So, you know, hopefully he gets to come back soon. Alright guys, so we're going to start to wrap it up here. This was just a brief episode today. Just a brief... This was a mini, mini, and mini Weeknight Chronicles. Uh, but I'm going to end on two pieces of uh, baseball news, I think. And we're going to start with Adam Wainwright. Uh, he, you know, this year... Um, we all thought that the legendary days of past was going to be an end. Pujols came back, had a phenomenal season, got 700... Pujols was riding off in the sunset. Yachty was riding off in the sunset. So we all thought, myself included, that Wainwright was going to head off into retirement, right off in the sunset as well. That is not the case. Wainwright has come back for an 18th season with the team. He will pitch for the Cardinals next season. Now, Wainwright's 41 years old. He said he informed the team of his decision to return shortly after they were eliminated in the wild card round. Now, Wainwright didn't have, I mean, he was solid, I guess. Uh, he finished 11 and 12 with a 371 ERA over 32 starts. Now, this was his first losing season in which he had made at least 20 starts. He won tw- just twice over his final six. 
and had a 7.22 ERA uh, in his final six games. Uh, now, last year he earned $17.5 million on a one-year deal. Terms for this one have not been disclosed. Uh, but the right-hander is going to go into the next season needing five wins to reach 200 for his career. He is 15 behind Jesse Haynes for the second most wins in franchise history. And, of course, Bob Gibson, who Kurt always picks every time on his pick him. Uh, Bob Gibson is the leader for the Cardinals with 251 wins. Uh, now, Wainwright Molina set the major league record for career starts as a battery last season, eventually hitting 328 together. Now, Molina's heading into retirement. Uh, Kisner is next in line to probably be the everyday catcher. So, who knows? Um, but, yeah, I just want to bring that up. Just because, uh, hey, man, where we're at in southern Indiana, right here, I mean, you can be in Cincinnati in three hours. You can be in St. Louis in three hours. And everybody around here is usually Reds or Cards fans, some of them are Cubbies fans, some of them are Yankees fans, but most of them it's either Cards or Reds. Uh, the 2006 Cardinals, the year I won, the year I graduated high school, 2006, uh, Cardinals won the World Series. Uh, a young Wainwright. So, yeah. So, let's let's get to the World Series talk here, briefly. Uh, the roof at Minute Maid Park is going to be closed tomorrow night for Game 1 and will probably likely be shut for Game 2 as well. Uh, forecasts are looking at 90% chance of rain when the World Series opens for on Friday. So um, they're probably going to close the roof. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about this World Series. Houston looks good going in. Uh, they swept the Yankees 4-0. Impressive. Uh, and they're playing a team that I never thought would make the World Series. And this is what I'm, this is what I am, um, I don't know, tore up about. I never gave my chance a team to win the World Series. If you go back to our earlier season episodes, uh, Weeknight Chronicles, back in the year, I kind of shit all over the, the Phillies at first. Because uh, I wasn't so, I wasn't a big Castellanos guy, and I've never yarped too much about Bryce Harper in the past. Uh, it was on my Facebook. I mean, I was happy that we had got him when we signed him, but I'm torn between how much fandom and how much rooting and, and uh, cheering and jeering I can do on Facebook when I didn't even give him a chance to make the postseason, and they're coming in as a wild card team that didn't even win a hundred games last season, but my team got right when it mattered the most, and that was the final stretch of the season, and then in the postseason, man, they just lit up. This isn't the 2008 World Series champion Philadelphia Phillies. This isn't the 2009 World Series losing favorited champions. This is a completely different team, obviously. Uh... Do I think we can win the World Series? I do. But I think it's going to be a long battle. I really, really think it's going to be a long battle. I think it's going to be a tough road to to, to go. But I'm confident that we could probably pull it off. So, um, 
I don't really I don't really have much to say on it honestly because I just didn't uh I didn't expect my team to be here. You know y'all you y'all you, you get ho- high hopes whenever season starts, but you have to you have to lower your expectation. And especially as we're getting hot Towards the end of September, and we come in as a wild card team that doesn't win a hundred games, and you're going up against one of the best bullpens in both leagues. Um, Houston's pitching rotation, their bullpen has been—I will give all the credit in the world to them. That's one of the best, and Justin Verlander. Who's definitely on the back end of his career now. I'm not saying he's looking like the Verlander from 2012 again, but he's looking damn good. So, and Verlander's going to start game one. Uh, I'm pretty damn sure Verlander's going to start game one. So, what happens there? Do the Astros go ahead and take their World Series championship here and uh, be like, look, you guys kind of quote-unquote fucked us and called us cheaters in 2017, which they kind of were, in a way. Uh, Is this their chance to come in and right the ship now? So, I don't know. Good luck. i tell you what. Kurt and I talked about this just last weekend when we did the uh, 97 World Series between the Cleveland Indians and the Florida Marlins, um, there is no better Game 7 feeling in the world than Major League Baseball, than the World Series. It's better than Game 7 in the NBA Finals. It's better than Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Finals. Game 7 in the World Series. And just for... I would love to see a Game 7 here. I think it would be entertaining. Obviously, at the end of the day, sports is a business. If there's money to be made, it would be made. Financially, Major League Baseball wants to see this go to a Game 7. Do we make it past four? I don't know. I think if the, if the Phillies are going to win, uh, it's going to take, take a huge effort from them. So if they're going to win, it's going to have to go to a Game 6 or a Game 7. Uh, because they're not going to, they're they ain't going to pull no four uh, zero sweeps or you know four games to one, five to one. It ain't going to happen. So uh, it's interesting. Game one's tomorrow night. Uh, I might be subtweeting about it again. If you guys like the podcast, go ahead and follow us at. Uh, Steel Toes and Scoreboards on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can follow me at the Atkins Asylum on Twitter. Uh, I'll try to do some posting from the uh, podcast pages on social media during the World Series. And now I do have the kids tomorrow night. I have them every Friday night. Uh, so it's going to be tough unless I can convince my boy who's been asking about playing baseball next year. Maybe I can convince him to watch the World Series with me and explain what this means. So, But, uh, all right, guys, again, we appreciate your patronage. Uh, we are going to crush record-breaking numbers this month. We have uh, 
four days left in the month, and uh, we might we might eclipse uh, not eclipse. We could push for three hundred downloads this month. So, and that's all in part all thanks to you guys and your patronage, and uh, all thanks to our uh, collaboration with the After Two Beers podcast. Please check those guys out. Uh, we cannot thank Kevin JP. AJ Dutch, Kevin, and um, Kimmy for what they've done for us. Uh, just them name dropping us, and uh, I'm excited to uh, go back up there again. We they would like to try to get together with us uh, every quarter, so you're looking every you know three four months, uh, which would put us getting together sometime around December January ish weather permitting. So we're absolutely looking forward to this. Uh, check those guys out. We can't thank them enough. And we can't thank you guys enough. I'm, I'm going to kind of end every episode talking about that. Uh, our download numbers have, we have already broke the record that we set in September, which was 222 downloads for the month, which we already broke in August, which broke the initial record when we started. So, and it's all thanks to you guys and you spreading the word about the podcast. So, all right, guys, for Kurt Kelly. I'm Jared Atkins. This has been a mini Weeknight Chronicles episode. Uh, We appreciate your guys' support. Like and share the podcast, and we will talk to you guys soon. (laughs) 